it consumed me. It finally took over it. I feel like every time I, I did heroin, a small piece of my soul would leave my body. Fragments of my soul over time were just leaving, like microcosmic specks of my soul or something, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, every time a piece of my soul would leave, something insidious would fill me until one day it was just, it was too much. Now I'm filled with this anger and this bitterness and this hate, this despair, this uh, selfishness, this darkness. I'm filled, like, I'm so full of this darkness now, there's no longer any good in me. Uh, there's maybe a tiny bit left. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. If you're looking for stories of hope, inspiration, and redemption, you are in the right place. Of course, your host, Jason Lachance, and through my addiction recovery and various struggles with mental health that include anxiety, depression, I've explored my passion of speaking with people who have taken their most adverse times and turned it into their greatest advantages. And uh, Josh Detente, my man, good to catch up. Thanks for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. Hey, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely, brother. Uh, still in Texas, right? Yeah, I got a um, a film that I'm shooting. I'm help shooting and uh, gonna help shoot. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Right now, tell me. Can you tell me anything about it? Like subject matter or anything? Uh, as a matter of fact, it's about National Geographic's King of Weed, Ryan Phillips. And uh, uh, I believe you have him on your page. As a matter of fact. Yeah, Ryan and I are good buddies. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a documentary about him and his wild ride in the uh, marijuana smuggling business and getting you know locked up and then finding redemption through uh, a higher power through you know God and um, you know he went from being an NHL hockey player to uh, you know smuggling marijuana you know large quantities making millions of dollars and it's directed by Amanda. Uh, Cassie Cryer. She's doing another film I'm part of uh, that I'm scoring. As a matter of fact, I'm making the music for it. I'm, I hope to score this one too. We're gonna we're gonna see what happens. But yeah, she's a good director and producer. And uh, Ryan's just an interesting subject. He's uh, good to talk to. So I'm excited. I'm stoked to be a part of it. Hell yeah. Yeah. Ryan's a beautiful person. I'm glad to have uh, gotten that friendship as are you. And we're going to get into your story and it's cool that you're getting involved with things in your recovery that kind of show people the trajectory of us and it, as it all very much differs. But um, hey, I've been starting with uh, gratitude, appreciation. So three, three things you're grateful for today. Well, I'm grateful for recovery for sure. That's like, that's one of the number ones. Um, always. Um, I'm grateful for family and the support system I have because of family. And uh, I'm grateful for creativity, you know, music and this film and all that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, and it goes to show that, that, that those things that fill us up uh, at some point in our life, and I can relate to that creativity is what, what keeps me going, gets me up every day, that even through our addiction, when we come back out of it, so much of that is not only, I don't know if the words restored, but ex you can expand upon it because before we started hitting recording, you said uh, how nice it is to be free. And that's not just of the addiction or you were making the parallels to being like incarcerated, you know? And I mean, that freedom is is a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. So what are three things you're grateful for? Oh, flipping it back on me. Uh, definitely uh, my higher power. 
Uh, mm-hmm. grateful for the support system that it's been there for me through not only that first year. I mean, I know you're coming up on a year sober. I, I just celebrated a year. Oh, right on. Dude, way to go. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Yeah, I had a buddy sent me a video. He compared that first year of sobriety. It's this little kid and it's the the camera on him as he's on a zip line going face first. That ah! um I'm I'm grateful for that system and the amazing people that I've uh, come in contact with and have been loving to me throughout coming up on three years in February, three years continuous. It'll be about six and a half, seven years of total sobriety. So thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to that. And uh, just, uh, God, what else am I grateful for? I mean, is there anything? I guess that I still have a body that is functioning well. I, I just did a, my all my blood work and stuff with my doctor, and he's like, are you sure you were an alcoholic? Because you have the best kidney and liver function that I've ever seen. And it was like, wow, um, that's a blessing in itself that I didn't take my body, at least uh, in that regard, internal organs to the point of destruction I do have from some stupid stuff I did drinking some joint issues and nerve issues, but you know, Hey, I'm blessed, man. Yeah. It's funny. You say that I just had blood work done today. This morning, as a matter of fact, uh, my doctor was like, do you want to get blood work done? It's been a year. And I go, I wonder what the difference is because uh, my doctor knows my, my history. And, um, she was like, yeah, let's check everything out. Let's see the, let's compare the, last year to this year because last year i was really bad you know right before i got my year so uh, well i mean at one point you were smoking fentanyl so i mean you know well before that i was shooting heroin too so i mean uh you know the only reason i couldn't shoot the fentanyl was because it was so power it was almost pure and it would have killed me and uh, i wanted that you know that i always tell people i didn't want the drugs unless i knew there was a really good chance I was going to overdose. Like it was a very slow suicide. And um, if I was, if it wasn't making me overdose to some extent, like if I wasn't passing out to the point of, you know, almost being Narcan or Narcan, I, I didn't want it because, you know, I just was looking for that first high. And so with the fentanyl, it was perfect because I could smoke it and I would, I would black out. I would literally black out my, it's pretty sad. My, Right before I went to rehab, my wife caught me relapsing in the middle of a relapse in um, our bedroom while she was taking a shower. And I don't know what happened. This is kind of crazy, but I took off all my clothes. So I'm standing in the bedroom naked, hunched over, you know, like, <laughs> and it's, I'm laughing because I'm just picturing this. Like, I'm. <laughs> she took a video because she wanted me to see how bad I was, and I have no recollection of this whatsoever. That's how bad it was. I was blacking out on uh, the fentanyl I was smoking, and I looked at it the next day, and I mean that was the morning I left for rehab. I, you know, was like I want to go to rehab, so we waited for a bed to open up, and uh, I saw that video, and uh, after I saw it, I was like, yeah, it's it's good, it's good. We're we're doing this. It's this is you know. And, it's it's crazy too because a lot of people say yeah I'm gonna go to rehab when the bed opens up and the bed opened up and everybody see them crossing their fingers chomping at the bit going is he really gonna go like but I went and you know I uh, I, uh, I was able to get there and stay which you know historically was not my mo yeah oh thank goodness uh, you were a runner huh yeah I mean I would just I would make a you know I just wrote a song as a matter of fact and. uh 
one of the lyrics is shattered reflections of promises broke, which just sort of alludes to um, looking back and everything being broken because of empty, broken promises, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was a big time. Yes, I'll go. Don't worry. You know, just give me a couple of days and I'll go. And so this, that, that last time around, everybody was like, yeah, well, we'll see, you know? Yeah. Um, I, it felt like my wife had almost, you know, handcuffed us together. She was watching my every move. Anytime she'd go away, you know, to use the bathroom, or whatever I was, I was trying to sneak away. And, uh, you know, I got to a point where I was like, listen, you have to stop babysitting me. I promise I give my word. I'm going to go, I'm going to do this. But like, I'm in the middle of a relapse. I will get sick. If I don't use, you're just going to have to bear with me and let me do this until I get there. You know, I think, and it's a kind of psychotic, you know, <laughs> deal to make. Uh, but my wife didn't really know what to do. She, she was ever diligent. She didn't want me using. So she tried to stop me every chance she got. And she's been incredible. Super, super supportive. Um, uh, yeah, just, just, she knows how it is. You know, she has her own history. Mm. So just, you know, really great. But, uh, when you were getting sober this last time, did you have anyone super close to you that was, um, you know, kind of with you through it all? Like, because I feel like that's what helped me um, before I was always trying to get clean on my own, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a support. I think a support system makes all the difference. Oh, yeah, it's it's every I mean, if you really take a look at the facts, like for long term recovery, having a support community and a faith in a higher power are the two most important things. When you really talk to people and break it down, I didn't I didn't directly have anyone living with me. Um, you know, I was kind of I, I had a shit show of relationships, obviously. I mean, none of us addicts go, well, yes, I was I was higher drunk all the time or as I was, you know, was watching porn every two hours or whatever the hell it is or gambling all day and, and, and your relationship's great. Um, um, no, but so the, the last time was luckily a brief, and I've talked about it on here, a brief, some people call it a slip up. I say a relapse and, and luckily I had the support of a couple of gentlemen that I was able to reach out to and picked up the phone early in the morning. And really just kind of help guide me back, get me back working. I, I, I'm i a 12-step guy. I like it. It works for me. But hey, if smart recovery is your thing or whatever it is, like I'm I'm all in for anyone's pathway uh, to recovery. So it was more for me finding um, a new circle because where I live, mm -hmm. rural area, like we were joking, it was the guys that, you know, when I would out drink a guy that outweighs me by 150 pounds, everybody's like, damn, man, that's impressive. Well, I had to get away from that. And so it was finding the new circle of of, of friends. And um, most of those people just went away. There's a few that genuine friendships that are still there and some other people that got sober at the same time too, oddly enough. But uh, yeah, for me, a little different. Wasn't in a relationship and um, in a beautiful one now of a very, very supportive, amazing woman. So, you know, it's uh, I kind of had to find it in a different way. You know, I never did rehab, um, primarily alcohol. So it was, uh, you know, a little bit of white knuckling at first and then getting connected and continually working it and learning. Why did I relapse? You know, what can I take away from this? What am I 
who am I allowing to be accessible to me and how is that unhealthy to my life and having to really change that. Yeah. Isn't it funny how misery loves company too? Like anytime I was using, I would, I would, I had some relationships while I was using, but they were so toxic, so unhealthy with other addicts that like, it was always, I knew going in, this is going to be a disaster. Like I am doomed. This relationship is doomed. I can't even take it seriously. Like, it's it's all bets are off, no holds bar, because there's no way I don't take this girl seriously. She's an addict and I know she can't take me seriously. So we'd we'd, you know, put on a good front in front of each other, but I think every you know, all those times I knew. Whereas I broke one of the rules. So when I first started getting sober, it was right after my brother passed away, and uh I like a a, a month and a half in, I met my girl and she that was you know everybody was like this is too soon don't do it you know like but I, I didn't listen and of course i did relapse but because i feel like i found a really healthy individual and i had that support it was it was so different when i you know i had two relapses in the beginning of our relationship uh but now i have a year clean and uh a lot of it has to do with the support I get from her and the means a big part of it's talking, you know, like mm. just I share my feelings with her and I'll be like, yeah, today's not a good day. I'm having cravings and they're lasting more than a minute. Um, and I'm kind of in a place where I don't know what to do right now. And she'll just sit and talk me through it. And, um, you know, there's other things that I do, of course, but I think it just makes a world of difference because if I was in a relationship with somebody who didn't know what to do or was in active addiction or was also sort of like in major recovery, uh, it would be, it would be a different situation. Uh, I've had relationships before where the other person and I were trying to get sober together and it just, for whatever reason, it just didn't work. One would relapse then the other would follow suit, you know, or vice versa. And, uh, you know, my, uh, my girl is, she has two years, two years clean uh, and sober. Um, when we met, she, um, I, I guess she, her, her, her story is a little bit different, but the point is she hasn't touched anything in two years. And uh, a lot of it has to do with me and wanting to be supportive of me, which is great. But uh, yeah, just it's, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm super grateful too for my relationship with her. I think I said my support system, but she's a really large part of that. She's top of the list. So it's imperative. And it's so, I mean, I've seen it so many times. I mean, you're talking, you know, so many classic things here. The people that try to get sober together, or one goes out, or one person's trying to get sober, then the other eventually follows suit back in, you know, going back out. And it's, it's such a tough way. And it, yeah, you are an anomaly to find someone that, that pretty early into uh, recovery and have it. And th that's a beautiful thing. I mean, it, it really goes to show that your, your wife has really worked it to, to be like, yeah, I'm not going, I love you, but I'm not going back down that road. Like I love you more than going back down that road. And that's like really transcending the addiction. If you think about it, it's like, she could have easily stepped back into it with you, but there was something about life and loving herself and you that was greater. And that's a, like, that's a powerful thing, man. It's romantic too. Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira. 
Now available wherever you get audiobooks. I wasn't done partying, and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. I think sometimes people, you know, Hollywood's given us too much of what romance is, and they don't take a look at the things like you're saying is like... It's beautiful and romantic to have somebody that can sit there when you're in a really tough situation and just be there for you. You know, I mean, I don't personally, when I have a bad moment, I don't want to pull my partner into like any of my negative stuff, but I appreciate when she's there and can kind of have a shield for herself from any, if I'm feeling negative energy, which is few and far between now. Um, I mean, we all have our shit days, right? But I think that's a really beautiful and powerful thing that I I don't think people understand how important that is when it comes to relationships. Like that's that's the stuff. It's not the the whining and dining or sex or whatever it is. It's that stuff that really builds a strong relationship. That's the foundation. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think real true love is just always having somebody's back, even when it's tough, even when it's hard, when it's See, I was in a very fucked up place. And I think, like I said before, other re- past relationships, there was love, but it wasn't true, real, I'm in love with you, love, because one way or the other, every, you know, both of us would slip. Whereas mm-hmm. my girl now, she, she, uh, she had her moments in the beginning where when I relapsed, she, w- she said that she struggled a little bit because she was watching me and she just didn't know what to do. And she almost slipped. Uh, but she stuck it out and she was, she didn't give up on me, but then also she wasn't enabling me. She wouldn't allow herself to enable me. And that's, that's even harder because you see someone that's sick or that's going crazy or doing this or that. And a lot of times I've had people that weren't addicts or that, uh, were, and they'd see me and I just beg, please, I'm, you know, take me here, please. And they didn't want to. But eventually they all caved. My girl would have never done that. She would have been like, no, I'm not doing it. Uh, and that's that's real love, too, because it's hard to say no to somebody like that. I, you know, when you when you see them in that sort of state, I think um, unless you just completely don't understand. But, yeah, she uh, she did what was right for me. And she also at times just let me go on my way. But she was like, if I try to stop him, you know, it's going to be bad. And also, I, I can't I can't control what he's going to do. I have to just let him see how shitty it is out there. And hopefully he'll come back and, you know. Yeah. Well, I think what you're sharing there, too, is um, when I've talked with a couple of couples, is that importance of maintaining your autonomy within it. Like not jumping back into any codependent kind of thoughts of like, well, gee, I love him so much, but why is he doing that or her or or them or whatever, you know, pronoun you want to use here. Um, And understanding that like at the end of the day, it's, it's an individual choice and it does, it's not a, it's not a reflection per se. And I think 
that's where when I reflect on a particular relationship as there wasn't that there was too much of the codependency connection of 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 the thought there like you know why would you do that why would you do that what is that what does that say about me and at the end of the day now it's like i realized wow that doesn't say anything about me or them for that matter like these were independent choices of individual independent individuals that that in our mind wanted to romanticize the connection that every little thing like we should be reading each other's minds and all the unreasonable things and it's like no you're just a person you're not gonna know things unless you communicate things like you know even then sometimes you have to say it multiple times like i have to ask my partner can can you repeat some things or i miss you know what you did say that and i apologize i forgot or Whatever it is, it's like we can be really unreasonable individuals even before you shove the addiction in there because that's going to make it nine million times worse. It's interesting, too, for me, you know, you you talked about uh, 12 steps and I've, I've, I've worked through the steps and uh, I've uh, gone to meetings. I just wanted to comment on this. I. With, with with regard to relationships too, or, or sort of getting away, I guess. But the the big one of the other the the second biggest thing for me, other than higher power and my support system, I guess. So the third has been uh, creativity. Like when I was when I was in rehab, I had this moment of clarity, this like aha epiphany moment, and I feel like I truly found my purpose. That's what I always tell everybody now find your purpose, whatever that looks like. If you're trying to get sober, if you're sober and you don't know what to do, just find your purpose, whatever that looks like. Some people, their purpose is the fellowship and the service work. It's totally immersing themselves in the program. And I think that's great. But for me, it was creativity. I was like, you know, it just clicked. I was like, I'm a musician and I've totally neglected the one thing I've always truly loved without fail. The thing that's always been there for me more than anyone and anything more than drugs. You know, this is, this was always first for me, music, sort of a selfish thing, but it's, it's my thing. Right. So I found my, I rediscovered my purpose and sort of found myself. And then I, I was like, okay, now I need to set goals. I think little goals are important and big goals are important too. So I said, okay, I'm going to go back to school. It's going to be for music business. Uh, while I was in school, I was like, I'm going to graduate with a 4.0. I'm also going to get an internship when I'm finished. Uh, I'm going to start working on music diligently. And I, I've, I've completed all those goals so far. And, you know, I've got the internship, got the 4.0. And I'm working on music on a daily basis. Uh, and, you know, I have my, my purpose in mind. And that's kept me so busy. And so, you know, it's, it's, and then there's days when I struggle, of course, but like, it's so, um, a part of my being that like, I was telling somebody recently, I said, I mean, yeah, I have cravings. I'd like to use again sometimes, but the effort it takes to go pick up drugs, the effort it takes to go find another plug or to re, you know, reestablish a relationship with one. And then the money and this and that, all those things are just like, it's not worth the effort to me. It's, you know, I sit down in my, my little home studio here and anytime I have negative feelings or thoughts or cravings, I just make music, you know, and it helps. I, I just recently wrote 
a song I discussed earlier, those lyrics, and uh, it's all about addiction and it feels good, you know, it feels way better in the long run than actually using. So as a fellow creative, I'm sure you can relate. Um, but to me, creativity is just like, it soothes the soul and I feel more free now than I ever have because I have this creative freedom. I work from home projects that come to me and, uh, I feel incredibly, um, you know, grateful, but also blessed that I have the ability to do so. No, I love it. Absolutely. Freaking lutely, man. Hell yeah. And I, and I, and you may not admit it in the way that I'm interpreting, but where you said like, well, that's like myself or saying no, like, uh, you know, we'll get more into your backstory, like through the life that you had to have this gift of music and you're a very talented individual, like it, you would be robbing, you know, not only yourself, but others to not let it flow through you. Like I'm a believer in who I am that like that came from God implanted in you at some point. Like think of all the lineage of all the people that were, you know, a part of your family way, way back when, and then to create you where you are now. And I think it would be a, a, a travesty to not share that beautiful gift that you have let alone you are being of service in it. Like you're going to work on a film with a mutual friend that shows you the depths of addiction and how far someone can go. And uh, it's a true redemption story. Like, dude, like that's so badass. Like, uh, you know, I hope there's something that comes up and we hit each other up someday and we're like, Hey, how do we work together on something? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's for me, like, you know, people say recovery is a selfish thing. Uh, and music is very much a part of my recovery. It's a hundred percent a part of my recovery. I like I said, there's so many, there's just an endless plethora of like uh, things I can do to be creative. Sometimes I have writer's block. I can't write songs, uh, so I will help somebody build a website or design merch or design a logo or just write stuff down. I'll just write things down, um, and. Uh, yeah, like this film. I mean, before this, I'd never really <laughs> been involved in a film before. Uh, I've always wanted to score films, and I'm scoring this other one. But um, yeah, I mean, it, recovery for me is mostly creativity. It keeps me so busy, and it's such a great exercise in letting things out, flushing things out, discussing my feelings. with. The, I have a writing partner, Kenny, and... Uh, He's always encouraging. He's like, dude, I want to hear about the grit. I want to hear those deep, dark, nasty, dirty secrets you don't want to talk about. And let's put them in the music because that that is compelling. That, that's what people want. And uh, he's absolutely right. We're doing a song now. And it's it's incredible. It's like it's, you know, my girl listened to it. And she goes, I, I really like it. But these lyrics are so sad. And I'm like, good. That's what I, I, I want to hear that. Like, I need to know that I'm doing this right, you know? Yeah, hell yeah. Well, I do want to jump back a little bit to uh, to young Josh. I mean, you near the top, you mentioned, unfortunately, losing your brother, whom you were close with, to to an overdose. What kind of, you know, the nuts and bolts of childhood? You, you, your mom was a single mom for a bit, right? But you had a pretty abusive stepfather. Yeah, and my mom, she did her best. But if you, I mean, if you get right down to it, her best was not you know, by any means the best, 
my mom was an alcoholic too. Uh, she was pretty bad, uh, really bad. I think that affected my brother and I a lot. Um, and that also, you know, cements my belief that it is hereditary. Both my parents are alcoholics. And uh, I guess my, my dad was telling me that he's a, an addict, but his big thing was uh, weed. He likes to smoke weed. He's done every other drug and stuff like that, but he said he couldn't, it was hard for him to quit smoking. I, I don't understand it all personally because mm. I, I hate weed, but <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, yeah, dad wasn't really around. He left pretty early on and we didn't reconnect until many years later. But uh, yeah, my mom was single. She worked pretty hard around the clock. Um, there was that. Then she got married for a brief period. Stepdad was pretty abusive. Uh, we moved around a lot and uh, I was isolated in a way because I was kind of an outcast in school. Mm. So uh, when I did find drugs, I found a best friend, you know, something that made me feel good, something that made me feel more social, but also made me, you know, not care so much about what other people thought. Uh, something that took all my insecurities away, something that made me feel warm and fuzzy and cozy. And uh, probably the longest, most toxic romance I've ever had in my life, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I was in an active addiction, I was used to say, I'm never going to quit. This thing has always been there for me ever since the beginning. It's always been there for me, always made me feel good, always made me feel happy. Why should that be taken away from me? Why should I, you know? So, uh, yeah, we, we, um, I'm from Los Angeles originally. You get started pretty young on everything out there. Um, and uh, I'd gotten injured, got introduced to painkillers. And slowly, gradually, you know. Uh, how how old were you, Josh? Twelve, twelve or thirteen, something like that. Oh wow! Yeah, and then my my parents got a divorce. My stepdad cut everything off. He was it was a real bitter divorce. So mm-hmm. no insurance, no more prescription. I got sick one day and just happened to be at a friend's house, and got introduced to heroin that way. Because uh, he he was a lot older than me. He recognized what was going on. He made a couple calls, and somebody came over with. Uh, some China white and uh, I snorted some got better immediately and, you know, quickly realized that I had found something, you know, um, that I really loved uh, something that was, yeah, unexplainable the very first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I would use, I was using, I, I used for, for years before it really, really spiraled out of control. Um, I was able to keep it together for so long that I never thought I had a problem, you know? Yeah. Um, functioning addict, you know, with a job and with this and with that and aspirations and dreams and working on things. It was like, this isn't a problem. It's just a little bit of a stimulant for me. It's something that helps uh, stimulate my creative flow. Uh or so we justify, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, and um, I feel bad now because some of the some of the some of my best work was done under the influence of drugs, and I always I often wonder, like, was that me or was it false? Was it real? What I mean, it was under the influence of drugs, so it was mind altering. Was that really, really me, or was it some weird, twisted version of me? Right. And uh, I think. It, you know, I think now it's like I was just insecure and um, 
you know, I, I or I, I'm more insecure now because I'm not under the influence of drugs. Like I said, drugs took my insecurities away. So I'd be high and I'd be like, this is my best work. You know, this is great. Now I'm sober. So I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, what is it? You know, <laughs> the truth yeah. is I work now is my best work still. You know, it's, it's the best work I can do. At least it's not the best work. It's just my best. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting and it's funny. Some of the songs that I wrote uh, while I was high, I don't even like playing anymore because it's like, you know. Let me let me cut you real quick. Is that because it's just like the 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 space you're in just no longer resonates with you? Like I don't even get this frame of mind and emotion that I was in when I produced this music. You know, I I think it's a couple of things. Number one, it triggers me for sure, mm. and I I, I listen almost like telling myself a war story I don't want to be reminded of. Um, it also, it's tempting because I'll hear a really good song that I did or a song that I think is really good. Um, I'm by no means being arrogant, but I, like, I'll hear it and I'll be like, wow, this is really good. Maybe, maybe drugs really did help my creativity. Mm. And then also... Yeah, I just I know I know what the song means truly. You know, I may have left it open for interpretation for everybody else and used a lot of metaphors, but the reality is I know exactly what I'm talking about and I know what I'm alluding to. So those feelings will creep at creep back up in my mind and like I don't want to listen to this, you know. It's like mm. there's some stories you just don't want to tell anymore or be a part of. You want them sort of out of your mind and so. Yeah. Yeah. Does that explain it? Thank you. I was curious. Yeah, no, makes total sense to me. Absolutely. Cool. So uh, through the years, my addiction, my tolerance, it all built, you know, climbed the ladder, as it were. And uh, I finally got, you know, I, I, I landed this record deal and was in a really good place, was making a lot of money, uh, had several vehicles, had a nice place had you know instruments and gear and recording time and this and that and so i was full of myself i was very was, I had this arrogance about me like yeah i'm on drugs but did you do all this while on drugs you know uh heroin no less and uh you know if anybody as far as i was concerned like if, if somebody told me i had a problem i'd be like listen you go out you do a bunch of heroin you see if you can build what i've built and then we'll talk you know, mm -hmm. just super cocky, super full of myself, uh, super selfish because I also had, I was in a relationship at the time with somebody who, who did help me a lot with, with some of this stuff. Uh, but, uh, it just, it got way too out of control. Um, um, and it consumed me. It finally took over it. I feel like every time I, I did heroin, a small piece of my soul would leave my body. Fragments of my soul over time were just leaving, like microcosmic specks of my soul or something, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, every time a piece of my soul would leave, something insidious would fill me until one day it was just, it was too much. Now I'm filled with this anger and this bitterness and this hate, this despair, this uh, selfishness, this darkness. I'm filled, like, I'm so full of this darkness now, there's no longer any good in me. Uh, there was maybe a tiny bit left, but I want to, I, I chose not to recognize that. 
And I became so arrogant and full of myself that as far as I was concerned, you know, like it's like when the label told me I needed to get clean, I was like, listen, I'm an asset to you. My music is so good compared to everybody else on this label. I've got a unique sound. It would be foolish of you to not work with me. And, uh, you know, how dare you bring this up to me? Like, this is my creative juice here. And uh, the reality is when we severed ties, they went along fine without me. And in fact, probably better because I was a liability and I, I didn't want to see that, you know. So after that, I got pretty depressed. I didn't want to admit it, but I was very depressed because this one thing I wanted my entire life is now gone. And I just went on a like a very long, let me see. I guess like a, a four-year run mm. that was out of control, completely and totally out of control. Uh, I, I went from being a career musician to a fully uh, immersed, full-fledged criminal, you know, from A to Z. I went from making good, honest money uh, to making good money still, but very illegal money, doing all manner of illegal things. And... Uh, Became somebody unrecognizable, you know. Like there was a period of time where I, I wouldn't even look in the mirror because I didn't, I didn't like what I saw, and I knew what I had become, but uh, I chose not to to face it, you know. And a lot of people will say I lost everything to drugs. Me personally, I never lost anything. I just gave it away mm -hmm. happily and willingly with no qualms. Uh, even you know, custody of my oldest child. I was like. You know, at the time, I, I lied to myself and said, this is for the, the greater good. This is better for, for him because he doesn't need to be around this. But the reality is I just he was he was a distraction. He was something I had to have responsibility for. And I was so selfish. I didn't want to, you know, I, I still live with a lot of guilt and shame about that. Uh, you know, it's that's really, really hard because I really let him down for a good period of time. But I can relate, brother. I can relate. Letting my kids down. I can relate. So I know what you mean. And I had to do some work on reframing that shame and guilt as remorse. And, and the ability to do that was that the amends were made and behavior was corrected, you know, and it's it's a process. So I, I feel you there. And um, you said something interesting about giving it away. And I do recall you tell me about one time, like, like the visual for me is, uh, I don't know if you've ever watched Breaking Bad, but where Jesse just has all these addicts and users over to his house just so he has people around him. And I remember you kind of having an experience like that, too, that, I mean, you had drugs, money, guns, and people. are It's just like, eh, just people around. I know that they're going to use, but. Yeah, well, and the thing is, too, is I hated I hated hearing people. I didn't want to hear about you or your problems or whatever, but I was so lonely and so broken that I wanted to be surrounded by people. I wanted, you know, adulation and adoration and, and I wanted glory and I wanted everybody to worship me and tell me how good I was. But if they, if that's, if that had nothing to do with what, you know, they were saying, I didn't want to hear it, but I didn't want them to leave me either. So I surrounded myself with people that were rotten and when they would start talking about themselves, I'd be like, dude, I don't want to hear it. And if you're going to get into that, then just leave my hotel room. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to, I, I was so empty inside and so broken that like, yeah, I needed to hear about how good I was. And 
I knew these people were going to steal from me once I fell asleep. I knew they were going to steal from me while I was wide awake, you know, spun out for meth and heroin. Um, and I knew they were taking advantage of me uh, in, in any way they could. But I was doing the same thing. And, you know, like I said, I was lonely. So I, I, if people just sat around me in a room and didn't say anything, that was like the perfect environment for me. Wanted mm -hmm. to not be alone but I didn't want to hear about somebody else, you know, selfish and lonely. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'd leave thousands of dollars out on the table that I, you know, made in one day and I'd wake up and it'd be gone and I'd be like, well, I guess I have to start it over. But I was so comfortable with that because, you know, <laughs> that's just what it was, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's bananas. It's bananas. Boy, mm -hmm. Vey. Oh. Yeah. So, um, I, I feel we wouldn't a do justice to share w without sharing about your brother, let alone for, for, you know, his passing to serve a purpose to, to help other people. But that was a, that's a pretty dark, dark place for you to go. And I mean, you guys were kind of, you were addicts of a different nature, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So I get out of, I was in a state mandated uh, you know, rehab facility, which is basically you're in jail, but you're doing, you know, it's, it was called smart self-management and recovery training, but it was also smart recovery. Mm. So it's all cognitive behavioral therapy and intervention. And I knew while I was there, I was going to get out and relapse. I just had to make well and play nice for 90 days. And that was it. I'd be fine. And I'd be right back to what I wanted to do. Got out. I was maybe clean a week till I found someone that could facilitate my uh, drug use. I was living with my brother who was gracious enough to let me stay with him. Um, so I went and stayed with him, but within a couple of weeks, I blew the spot up and was bringing things in that I was buying with stolen credit cards and, you know, illegal money and uh, this and that and the other. He knew what was going on. And his, his apartment was empty though, had no furniture. And I immediately recognized what that was. He was pawning everything. And uh, I, I just caught on quick. He'd take these trips to the bathroom and I knew exactly what he was doing. So I just figured, well, if he's using, then he won't, he won't mind if I do. Thing is, he, he, he was very, while he did have his issues, he, he wasn't about the illegal lifestyle. Mm. You know, he, he, uh, he was getting his money, honestly. He was at least trying to make, you know, a decent, honest way of living not just with work but just you know he was he had this problem but he knew it was a problem it, you know and and he wanted to address it he just didn't know how so he couldn't see my point of view so eventually it you know it all came to a head and we got into this big fight that almost you know it was almost physical it came very close to being physical but uh we got into this argument about who the better addict was you know, which is crazy, but yeah, he right. said, he's like, look at you. You're just this, you're just this freeloading, selfish, you know, crazy wannabe gangster, you know, guy who does whatever he wants. You have no, and he goes, everybody like kisses your ass and they don't know how rotten you are inside and how you just take advantage of every system you can. And uh, he goes like, you don't even have a job. You don't do this. You do that. And I go, I don't answer it to anybody. I certainly don't wake up miserable going to a job I can't stand. You know, I'm not with 
somebody I don't want to be with. I'm not this. I'm not that. Like, who are you to tell me? You know, I live however I want with whoever I want, wherever I want. At any given time, I can change situation. I don't even need this place. Like, this is, you know, this is a shithole place compared to what I'm used to being in, you know, and I was kind of alive. I I would go from having a five-star hotel room from making a bunch of money to a $40 a night motel that was like swarming with roaches and, you know, but, uh, anyway, so we get into this argument and like the last thing I said to my brother was, fuck you. I don't need this place, you know, fucking die. And, uh, just a, an expression I didn't mean that, but, right. you know, and then it's just like two weeks later, I'm in this trap house and someone tells me, you know, your brother passed away. And, oof, you know? I uh, I remember. I'll never ever forget that feeling. It was more profound than the the first time I ever did opiates. Uh, more profound than the first time I ever did real heroin. It was like it was like an outer body experience, you know. Like I've never felt so overcome and overpowered and over over exhausted over exerted whatever just it was everything like my whole life just changed immediately in an instant yeah fell to my knees and i wept and was inconsolable and sad and angry and bitter and guilt guilty guilt guilt filled and uh shameful and you know it's like one minute he was there and the next he wasn't there anymore and uh, I really wanted to see him and kept saying, I wish I could just see him one more time so I could fix this, you know. But um, couldn't. And the selfish addict in me was like, okay, all right, God, everyone else, I'm really going to show you what bad is now, you know. It's like I, I wanted to, I took out my anger and my, my sadness, my frustration out on everybody else. Now it's... You know, there's no holds barred by any means. I'm going to do anything and everything, and I don't give a fuck who says what. I'm doing it. So, um, yeah, borrowed a friend's car and uh, filled it, stacked it to the brim with drugs, money, computers, stolen merchandise, credit cards, checks, fake IDs, this, that, the other. And I'm, I've got guns, and I've got, you know, all these things and I'm just I'm waiting to die you know what I mean I'm slowly trying to die and uh I'm going to every drug spot I can think of I'm handing things out I'm handing money out I'm handing guns out I'm handing drugs out. I don't care you know I want somebody to rob me and, and kill me in the midst of all this I had been stabbed I shot which is falling apart you know and I don't care I, you know I got stabbed one morning and by the end of the day i was out of the hospital all stitched up almost bled to death um they had to throw me out because i was a liability they pumped me full of fentanyl in the ambulance and then when i got to the hospital and fell asleep they ran my blood and found you know heroin and other fentanyl and meth in my system and they woke me up and they're like they're trying to get me out as quick as i can so that you know if in case i do overdose they're not liable right and uh um I just go right back out and I continue at it. I didn't care. I didn't give myself time to rest. I didn't, I didn't want to rest. I just wanted to go until there was no more. So 
I fall asleep one night on some little in some little neighborhood and wake up with the cops at my door. And uh, it was like right before that, um, the big the big the big moment happened. You know, I was getting ready to shoot myself in the head. I had this high point three eighty, and I'm ready. You know, today's the day. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And I'm not going to die sober. So, more heroin, more fentanyl, more meth. I do so much that now I'm in a daze, and the gun's in my hand. But I sort of slip, and just lean forward, <laughs> and the gun goes off first it jams and i have to you know hit it a couple times try to make it work but now i'm sitting there and i'm just so high that i can't i don't really know what i'm doing and i just fall forward i didn't mean to pull the trigger uh i just wasn't you know i wasn't really i was halfway conscious and halfway unconscious gun goes off literally whizzes right past me leaves a little scar on my ear and i'll never forget i whoa you know, just shocked me, broke the back windshield. I kind of busted a little hole through and the whole thing was cracked. And I suddenly changed my mind. I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. That was, that, that, that's too much. So now I'm thinking maybe I can just overdose to death, whatever. And the shock, the adrenaline, the, the, the drugs, everything kind of hits me all at once. And I just overamp and pass out, wake up, you know, and it's the police. And I'm like, shit, well, here it goes. Here it goes again. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, now there's no way I'm getting out anytime soon. Uh, it's going to be years because this whole car is just full of, you know, prison sentences. Right. And, uh, you know, I'd managed to talk my way out of some lengthy sentences before, but there was no getting out of this one. It was clear cut, open and shut case. Uh, so... That, that was the first coincidence, uh, the gun going off and just in time and uh, maybe doing just a little too much drugs and the gun jamming up. You know, that's that's those are the first sort of couple coincidences. Well, mm-hmm. next thing happens, the police officer pulls me out of the car. And he immediately puts me in cuffs and he's looking at me and looking at this car going like, you know, and he's got this look on his face like, who's this skinny little white kid with <laughs> all this stuff? Like, what is <laughs> He's like got this look on him. He's just kind of bewildered. And he goes, what are you doing here, man? And I just said, I was trying to kill myself uh, because I'm over everything and I'm done. And he looks at me and he goes, why? And I said, I, I've, in the last couple of weeks, I've been stabbed. I've been shot at. I've been shot uh, in the, you know, I've gotten shot in the arm and stabbed everywhere. But um, so I was all stitched up. I showed him, I go, look, you know. I go, my brother just died of an overdose. And he goes, your brother? And, and I go, yeah. And he goes, your blood brother. And I go, yes, my blood brother. Same mom, same dad. And he goes, okay. And I go, I'm a junkie. I have no permanent place to live. Um, I have no one in my life that will talk to me. I have no friends. My family won't speak to me. Um, I'm alone. I'm empty. I'm broken. I'm miserable. Take me to jail and I'll hang myself. Uh you know, one way or the other, I don't want to be alive anymore. I'm done. I'm, I'm over it. Like, just let's go. Get me away from all this. I didn't want to be around the car anymore. Give me bad vibes. I guess. And he just kind of looks at me like with this, this very intense gaze, like he's sizing me up. He's trying to figure out, is this kid lying to me? Is he, is he putting a, you know, is, I mean, I'm sure he's heard it all. Right. Right. And he goes, 
he goes, do you have anybody I can call to verify this information? And I said, you want to call and verify that I was trying to kill myself? I didn't tell anybody. And he goes, I just want to know about your brother and everything else. We call my mom. I, I go, you know, you can call my mom, but she's so sick of hearing from police. She'll hang up on you. I know she will. She didn't answer my calls in jail. Like she's going to hang up, which was true. Like my mom didn't take calls from police officers anymore, uh, whether it was to investigate a crime against me or someone else. She just wasn't. She, she wanted no part of that. Uh, the other thing was. When police came across me, they always arrested me or detained me and searched everything I was a part of. They did, I could be the passenger in a car. They still they still check for IDs. They just want to identify everybody and see if they have warrants, which I think is their legal right in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I get I get hassled every time because of my record. Uh, and they always they always find a reason to mess with me. If I don't have anything on me, I'm, I'm usually good, but I have to sit there for an hour and get everything searched and whatever else. But in this case, I mean, you know, I have an assault on a police officer on my record. So it's just like they don't they have a natural inclination to dislike me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. So, <laughs> so um, he's he's sitting there and he's like, He's like, what's in the car? And I go, there's an ounce of heroin. There's an ounce of meth. There's a quarter ounce of fentanyl. And he goes, are you, are you selling? And I go, no, it's for me. And I go, I'm just an addict, man. I'm, I'm a really bad junkie. I, go, I swear to God, I'm not selling. I just am crazy. And I wanted to kill myself. I was trying to overdose or shoot myself. Whatever it is, I wanted to die. I'm telling you the truth. I won't lie to you about anything. And I tell him everything that's in the car. Now he knows I'm telling the truth about that. I go, there's this here. There's that there. Uh, you know. You'll find this hidden here. You'll find the heroin hidden there, you know, and, you know, sure enough, he finds it. Uh, He puts me in the back of his car. He gets on the phone with my mom. And I know he spoke to her because he's, he's pacing around. And he tells his partner, you know, whatever. And I, I, I didn't know what he said, but we get in the car and all of a sudden this incredible feeling came over me. Just it's like all the guilt, all the shame washed over me i was overwhelmed with sadness and despair and and i felt for for the first time i really truly felt bad i was able to examine everything under a microscope you know neurologically i i just i was like i've let everyone down i let my son down most importantly this little boy who's who's never done anything wrong to me always been so sweet to me you know i'm his hero tell it just every time i would disappear for long periods of time and uh i'd show back up and it's as if you know i had never been gone he didn't care about all that he just wanted to see me just wanted to spend time with me i let him down i let my brother down i wasn't there for him and i could have been i was sober when i got out of this facility i could have helped him you know i let all my friends down i have no more friends i've been rude and mean and abusive and horrible and i got i just i can't do this anymore you know i'm thinking to myself this is not who i thought i would be at this this state of my stage of my life and i just i started praying like i started really seriously praying and i hadn't prayed in years and i said god universe whatever's out there whatever it is looking down upon me please guide me please help me 
and I'm praying for a way out of jail. I'm like, I, I can't do this again. I don't want to be locked up again because the anger will swallow me up and I'll just do the same thing no matter when I get out. Like, regardless, I, I don't want to be locked up. There's still more I can do. I can make this right. And I'm praying and I'm get me out of, in my mind, I'm thinking maybe I can pray for a bond. Maybe my mom, by some divine miracle, will bond me out. Maybe if I just explain and, and my brother just passed away. I want to be there for that. I mean, I, I've already missed the funeral. Couldn't go to the funeral because I didn't want to show up high or dope sick. So I'm just praying. And I'm thinking it's impossible. There's just no way. Now, we pull up to this building. We, we pass the jail. And now I'm like, okay, well, where are we going? And we get to this building. And go, what is this? And, you know, the cop pulls me in. And I go, what is this? And he goes, this is the Southwest Vista Hospital. And I go, like, literally, I'll never forget. I go, what the fuck were you doing here? And he goes, uh, well, I'm taking you to get a psyche eval, and I'm taking you to detox. And I go, 72-hour hold, whatever. And he goes, yeah. And I said, so is this going to be one of those custodial things? What, like, when am I going to jail? Tell me when I'm going to jail. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'll get a bond while I'm here somehow or something. <laughs> right, right. Which, which wouldn't have been possible anyway. They wouldn't have let me use the phone. But he goes, I'm not taking you to jail. I'm not charging you for anything. And I go, I just looked at him like, you've got to be shitting me. <laughs> That's a big WTF moment. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that, that 10 years minimum with everything that was in that car, minimum, you know, like it was a miracle. It was the miracle I was praying for. And I looked at him and I go, what? And he goes, I don't believe incarceration is the answer for you. He goes, I've looked at your record. You know that. Clearly, that hasn't worked. You know, I spoke to your mom and she needs you, your family. All right, brother. They, 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 they need you. You got to make this right. You know, I, I really think that you need help. And I'm offering you the chance to, to do the right thing. He goes, so use it. Like, this is my gift to you. Use it, you know. And, uh, I looked at him and I just, I just, you'd think I'd say thank you, but I just said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And what I'm doing is I'm apologizing to everybody in my life through him. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm crying. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And he goes, it's okay, man. Like, just, just get yourself right. And he goes, then remember something. If I ever see you out here again, and I think you're up to no good, I'll arrest you and I'll make sure they throw the book at you and you will go away for a very long time. Do not take hand in it. Don't mistake my kindness for weakness. I just want you to do the right thing. And I want you to go be with your mother. You shouldn't be out here like this when your brother just passed away. So he goes in and he, he takes me in. And now there's two more coincidences. Police always, they, you know, all they need is a little marijuana seed. And that's enough reason to lock me up. This guy let me go. My mom answered the phone and she took his call. It's another coincidence. Now, all of a sudden, I'm sitting in this waiting room and I'm not believing that it's a coincidence anymore. I go, this happened for a reason. This really happened for a reason. So I, I just sat there and I go, I give my word now. Like, I will do everything it takes to try to be sober. My, my expectations and my promises to God are no longer unrealistic. I'm not saying, I promise if you get me out of this, I'll be sober forever. No, it's, I will try. I will make the most honest and sincere effort I've ever made to really try to be sober. And I probably will. I may and probably will fall from time to time, 
but I'm okay with that because I really want to do this. I want to try. I want to, I want to, I want this to be, I don't want to be who this is anymore. You know, I can't do this. It's not, I wasn't built for it. And, uh, called my drug dealer while I was there to come pick me up. I had that moment of weakness. And I said, well, he goes, what's the address? And I don't know the address. So I hung up to, to go to the desk. And again, that feeling comes over me and I go, what am I doing? I just gave my word hours ago that I'm going to do the right, right thing. You know, and I'm very big my word. So I go, never mind, ma'am. I'm, I'm, never mind. You know, went to sleep, woke up, called my mom. She came, pick me up. And that's how my recovery journey started. You know, wow. um, yeah, two relapses since then, but now a year clean and sober, the longest period of sobriety I've ever had. And that has everything to me to do with, you know, rediscovering my purpose, which was and always has been music. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, that was kind of a lot, but <laughs> that's all right. You got to look, you know, some tears out of me. It's OK. It's been a while since I cried with another man. So <laughs> I, I, I was tearing up, too, but it's uh yeah, that's good to share. It's your it's your life. So I could just I could just I could feel it. Even though if this was in person, I would have been like, okay, I, fucking give me five minutes, I'll be right back. Uh, yeah. No, thank you for the honesty and vulnerability. That's that's the stuff that um, resonates and helps people at the end of the day. And to know that when those opportunities come to us and that clarity, like we have to seize it. Yeah, thank you. I, I just, for anybody that listens and is struggling, I can honestly and sincerely tell you I was the worst of the worst. If I saw an opportunity and a way to exploit you and take advantage of you, you had something I wanted, I was going to get it at any cost. It didn't matter what I had to do. I was going to take from you everything I could. It didn't matter if you were, my, I mean, my own kid. I, I just, I took advantage and then I because I couldn't deal with the responsibility anymore and because my addiction had swallowed me whole, I just signed away over custody to my mother. You know, I was the worst of the worst. And uh, now if what I'm saying is if I can change anyone, my son is here now, he's in the next room playing with my, my little boy, my six month old, you know, um, it's so different now. And it, if I can offer anybody some inspiration and hope, I can tell you, you know, there was a time where I, I would, you know, my circumstances were much different. If I can do it, anybody can truly, you know? Yeah. No. And, and it's a beautiful thing when we get to be a beacon of hope, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I just got so sick of hurting people, you know, mm. it, it all, it caught up with me when my brother died. I realized how much of a shitty person I was. And it was my higher power working in my life for sure. You know, all these realizations, this moment, this like feeling of nirvana, this like unimaginable guilt and shame, but this, you know, this burdening sadness and this, just this need to be different, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, even my relapses, they, they were supposed to happen because that's how I rediscovered my purpose, my music, my, my, um, the reason I'm here and, and the way I can offer people inspiration and hope through creative, you know, creativity. Uh, man, I, I think it, it like, I, I, it's weird to be in, in this conversation with you and then all of a sudden have an overwhelming sense of joy 
at the same time because the aftermath and you're right. And, and I think it goes to show that like personal, like growing in life, like we, we go through situations of pain. It's inevitable. We can't avoid it. It's, it's part of life and it, and it's the, are we going to be attuned, especially to our own bullshit to grow beyond it? And, and when that switch like flips and when it changes, you know, and I try to tell some newcomers, this, like, there's going to come a point you keep working this and just every day making empowering decisions over disempowering. There's going to be these awesome light bulbs, aha moments, spiritual awakenings, the, the, the whole, the whole plethora of it all where you're just going to feel so different about life and existence in general. And it's, yeah. fucking awesome i got no other term for it <laughs> you know that's the most intelligent i can be about it at this particular moment in time but it's um it's beautiful well and i think uh self-awareness uh responsibility self-responsibility and self-awareness and accountability are some of the most important things you can have in recovery because for so long i had that stupid cliche way of thinking it's not me that's the problem it's everyone else i am not the problem you know <laughs> and i would have never admitted that i was taking advantage of people i'd just be like no people want to do nice things for me and sometimes i snap or i do this or that but i'm not a bad guy and you know, i was a bad guy and now like i when i'm when i'm i have these great moments uh that to me are more important like with my girl or with my forever people where I'm, I'm fighting and I have to stop and really dial in on my thoughts and think, okay, what thoughts am I having right now? Who is, does it really matter who's truly right or wrong? And would it better, would it do me better to just take responsibility for my actions and accountability and say, you know what? I'm hearing you. I'm sorry. I feel upset right now. So I need a moment to process this situation and get back to you on it. Or I feel angry right now and I don't want to talk, but I need to think about this for a second here. Or or I feel sad and I want to talk to you about it. Uh, or, or, you know, just be like, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. I snapped at you and there was no reason for it. It was uncalled for. I think it's, and it, <laughs> I'm, I'm no longer so burdened by anger and bitterness. You know what I mean? I, 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 uh, I have my faults and my flaws still, but I'm not as angry as I used to be. And that's, you know, I, I, I write down my feelings. I compose my feelings into pieces of music. And then I just have conversations about them. I talk things out with people. Whereas I used to bottle it up and just wait, look forward to that moment when I can run to the bathroom or the bedroom or wherever and just get high. Just mm. call it getting high about it. It's not like that anymore. And it's so much better, you know. I feel so free as we discussed in the beginning. I feel free now. I'm not trapped and I'm not weighed down. Oh, well, Hey, we could keep this going all day. I love talking to you and catching up again this way. And I know we're going to continue to stay in touch, but if uh, people want to find out more about you, connect with you, what's the easiest way? Uh, so my Instagram handle is at Josh Detente. That's D A T A N T. My website is joshdetente.com. Uh, and I've started a YouTube channel. It's Josh Detente, but um, it's, it's in the works. I need to kind of 
revisit that. Uh, but uh, yeah, and um, I'm always open to collaboration. So people need music, they need videos edited, whatever, just or just conversation. If people want to talk about sobriety, they're struggling or they're not struggling, whatever the case, I really love talking to people, especially about this. So, Likewise. What are you throwing up on the YouTube channel? Just like if you're testing out a new riff or something, get feedback, what is it? Uh, so my first YouTube video was like the introduction to me. And that was sort of like, uh, this is what I've done to stay sober sort of thing. So it's everything from creative things, like things, that, tools I use uh, when I'm frustrated or sometimes sober stories. Sometimes, you know, if it's appropriate war stories, sometimes just other people's stuff that I've worked on, like videos, lyric videos. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be, I have an animation video, like an anime type video that I'm putting out pretty soon. Anything like my whole life is centered on recovery and music. And like I said, all things creative. So anything that has to do with that, it's going to be YouTube, my Instagram channel, all that stuff is that <laughs> just my world. Uh, I will do, I will subscribe as soon as uh, we jump off here, but uh, let's jump into some random questions. Sure. That's where we, we try to have fun. What do the British say? Shits and giggles. There you go. Uh, three most influential musicians for you. Jimmy Page, the guitarist for Led Zeppelin. Uh, Jim Morrison, the singer of The Doors. And Julian Casablancas, the uh, chief composer and singer of The Strokes are the three yeah. most influential. Yeah, Julian Casablancas, he's a very underrated dude for sure. He's done so many different... I've met him a couple times, too. And I used to own a recording studio with the Strokes' first producer, Gordon Raphael. So. Oh, really? I'll be damned. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I, you know what I really dug? Like, um, when he started uh, the documentary stuff where it was uh, working with Daft Punk, like, I was really fascinated with, with him kind of stepping into that world. And it's like, oh, this dude's got some range, you know, because oftentimes we... We see, a, a, especially with music now, like like Led Zeppelin wouldn't happen now. The Doors wouldn't happen now. You know, it'd be like, here's the, the first record. Here's the hit songs. Let's try to keep that going. You know what I'm saying? And it's it's like he's one of those dudes that stepped out of that. Like, no, I'm, I want to do something like this. I want to do something like that. And like I, I've got a lot of respect for people. Not that he's broke by any means, but that really go, hmm wait a minute, I got some money in the bank. Now I can really stretch my legs as opposed to, uh, let's keep the, the money train rolling here. Right. Yeah, he has his own record label now too. And he puts like some of the most interesting and eclectic musicians. He got another band called The Voids. And uh, they're so not what the strokes are. They're very different in terms of musical exploration. You know, I love the strokes. I always will. But yeah, the, the strokes kind of stuck with the formula and it was really Julian who broke away and decided, okay, I've done the strokes thing. It's a good money maker, but now I really want to challenge myself and explore my musical inclination. So yeah, yeah. Julian's my favorite modern musician by far. And every time I met him, he's very, he's a very strange guy, but he's <laughs> very nice. 
know. <laughs> what 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 I have yet to meet a, a another creative in recovery that's not a little bit odd. Like you know, I mean, yeah. we just are because I think we can all sit there and relate and go, yeah, I kind of didn't feel like the in crowd. Like people are still amazed, like that I went to high school with, and I go. Yeah, I just didn't feel like I connect with everybody in this uh, friend of mine. She goes, like, you knew everybody. Everybody knew who you were. And I said, yeah, but how many times did you see me at parties? Oh, yeah, you just didn't go. I go, no, I was never fucking invited. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know that. No, yeah, I, I relate to that a lot. Yeah. Um, Casablanca is in recovery. I don't. I don't know. There's conflicting stories about whether or not he still is. I think maybe, I don't know. I, I don't want to speculate on his life, but I know uh, from knowing, you know, uh, what I read and from knowing Gordon, he, uh, he, he quit drinking because he was overdoing it. And, uh, you know, I think that's amazing. Yeah. Well, and I've definitely seen this shift. I just had Nita Strauss guitar player for Alice Cooper and her own solo stuff on and, you know, we were talking about that, and here she is. She's talking about Alice Cooper, one of the all-time great frontmen, still kicking ass at, what is he, damn near 70-something. Uh, she's talking about Zach Wilde. I mean, just a shredding legend, and these are the people that are giving her advice on, you know, in early sobriety and still support there. And so I, you know, I've I've definitely seen in that world kind of a shift away from it, hopefully. I mean, gosh, you know, it's just like, Yeah. Anyways, all right, fun random questions. Let's keep it going here. Uh, what would be something people would be surprised to learn about you? Maybe a uh, hobby other than music, an interest? Um, I'm pretty good at some sports. Uh, you know, like uh, people meet me and they don't realize that uh, I did like sports when I was in, you know, junior high and high school. Um, so, yeah, I'm really good at basketball. Like, I uh, was exceptional when I played every day, you know? Yeah. So that would be something, I guess. And uh, I speak Spanish fluently. So. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I'll be damn- well, I mean, kind of, you know, makes sense, I guess, right? The last name? Yeah. I was going to say, kind of yeah. makes sense. <laughs> kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, if I ever get down there, we'll go shoot some hoops together then. Sounds good. Uh, dinner with any one person living or not, who would it be and why? It's a good question. I love that question, but I never, you know, this is going to be sound like a cliche, but it's not the reason why probably everybody else would have, uh, it would be probably with Jesus Christ, not because of personal beliefs or anything like that. I just, he by far is one of the most influential characters in the world for generations. And I would just want to soak up some of that energy and figure out, you know, I wouldn't call myself, I have my spiritual beliefs, but anyway, I think there's validity in a lot of beliefs too. Um, I'm, I find that I'm still... I have a lot of questions about a lot of things, you know, mm. um, but I think Jesus Christ would be someone because I just, I want to know, like, I, I want to know some things and, and I'd also be, I'd be fascinated to to talk with one of the most influential men that's ever lived, you know? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I could just see the. I mean, really, if you think about it, I think it was Lenny Kravitz put it best is like uh, he was the original rock star. You know, he was the guy that was going around like, no, like like that person you look down upon. Now that's the people we got to love. It was like that original, like that resonating of a message that wasn't present before. And it's kind of the same power that I get from certain, you know, musicians and their music and and lyrics and everything else. So um I'm I did I'm with you on that for sure. All right, last random question. Um what occupation other than your own current occupation would you be interested in trying? An actor. Yeah. I, that was what I originally wanted to do. Uh was be an actor and uh uh I still think about that. Um I grew up in Hollywood, so um, yeah, I'm pretty good at doing accents and I used to act in plays and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it's still an art form, but you know, an actor, I'd be an actor. Same for me. Same for me. Well, Josh, this is a time where I give you the floor, anything that you want to share with the listener, be it hope, inspiration, whatever it is, it's, uh, it's all yours. Um, you know, like I said before, find your purpose. I think that's extremely important. It doesn't have to be some big profound thing. Your purpose is to be a man of God or your higher power. If it's to be immersed in the world of recovery so that you can help other people, it's just to be a good husband and father, or whatever, like just find it and execute a plan to be and embody that. And then, yeah, I was grateful for some things uh, at the beginning, but now I'm grateful we we got to have this conversation. It was very uh, therapeutic for me. So I appreciate you having me on. Uh, likewise. Hey, we, I, I got a weird feeling we're going to have a lot more work to do together. So I'm really grateful for your time and, and this connection. I mean, you know, it's the cool thing about recovery. I've been connected to so many cool people through recovery and our mutual friends. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Reach out to me. If you ever need music, you know, hit me up. <laughs> I, I will. On that note, keep knocking doors down. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about.